I mentioned last night, and it's such a truism, it was one of the magical moments in my life. It was one of the magical moments in my life. I had accepted Christ, I don't know how many days earlier, went out to be with my friends, and as a normal pattern in my life at that time, and um, word was out that I had become a Christian. Um, didn't know what that meant. Uh, they didn't. And I was so new in it. And my friend, who was my very best of friends, said, I don't ever want to see you again. If you want to get all religious on us, you know. And so he kind of kicked me out of his restaurant. <laughs> and as I was walking back to, towards my, my, my place where I stayed, it was uh, along the Alawai in Hawaii. Out of my innermost being came these words that, that were as sincere as I've ever said anything in my life. I said, well, Lord, this is something. I don't, now I don't have any friends. And I remember saying to him these words almost verbatim. If it's just you and me the rest of my life, I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to walk with that. I had no idea what all that meant. I just know that I meant it from the bottom of my heart. It was a little thinner. It was back in here a little bit then. But I meant those words from the very essence of my being. In essence, I was telling the Lord, nothing compares to the promise that you're going to give me. And I didn't have a clue what all those promises were. I just was thankful that I wasn't going to go to hell. That was, that was the main reason I came. But as you know, as we walk with Christ, there's so much more in our faith. There's so much more of the promises that we have. In fact, if you'll turn with me to Joshua chapter 15. My goodness, what a place this is. I have really fallen in love with Caleb. Caleb is, is really quite the warrior, but he's also, as we're going to learn today, a man of great compassion, a man of great heart. We have made a statement as a church that we want to give away. We want to pass on to the next generation the wonders of, of Christ that we have and that we possess. And we want to grow in our faith so as to help you grow. And we want to grow in our faith so you and I can pass along to the next generation all the wonders that we have in Christ, all the promises that we have in Christ. And so we need to get to a place in our lives where we live what we proclaim, where others will see what we believe. It's a wonderful journey, but I want to be the one that tells you that this journey is not easy it is a battleground. That's what Joshua is all about. We've been seeing it. It's been a bloodbath. Let's make no mistake about it. And now what we are seeing in chapters 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19 will be a continuum of, of their separating the land from one tribe to another, giving out the inheritances that belong to the children of God. If you remember, God made a promise to Moses, and he made a promise to Joshua, and he made a promise to the people of Israel. He said that I will be with you, and the land is yours. The comparison between Joshua and the New Testament in the book of Ephesians is the 
The Lord has said, I have blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, in Christ Jesus. And so the promises that you and I have are complete. We have all the spiritual blessings that are needed to go through this life, this difficult life that, that, that we do have from time to time. Sometimes there's highs and sometimes there's, there's really lows. But what you and I have are the promises. And so I sing with you this song. Nothing compares to the promises that we have in Christ Jesus. What I'd like for you today is to see how Caleb appropriated those promises into his life. As you remember, look back with me please at chapter 14. It says in verse 8, the secret of the strength and the tenacity of Caleb in verse 8 says, Nevertheless, my brethren, who went up with me, made the heart of the people melt with fear. But, he said, I followed the Lord my God fully. And we said last week that was the key. The key to Caleb was that he fully followed his Lord and God with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his strength. Moses, it says in verse 9, swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance to you and to your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God fully. Then Caleb said, The Lord, in verse 10, Behold, the Lord has let me live, just as he spoke, these forty-five years from the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses when Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, he said to, to Joshua, I'm 85 years old. I am 85 years old today, he said. But he says in verse 11, I'm still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. My strength was then, so my strength is now for war for going out and for coming in. He says in verse 12, remember? Here's what I want, Joshua. Caleb looked at Joshua and said in verse 12, Give me this hill country. Give me the mountainous region where the giants stay. He says, Give me the hill country about which the Lord spoke on that day for you heard on that day that Anakim were there with great fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me and I'll drive them out as the Lord has spoken. And so Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. He gave it to him for an inheritance. Therefore, it says in verse 14, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kezanite until this day because he followed the Lord of Israel, the Lord God of Israel fully. I want you to note something as we read in chapter 15. I want you to remember, it was Caleb who came to Joshua and said, Joshua, that's the land I want. Give me that land. 
I'm going to try and explain to you today why he wanted that land and why that land was so essential, not only for him, but as we bring it to where we live today in the New Testament, why that land or that statement that he made is so important to you and me, it's critical. You see, 40-some years ago, Caleb and Joshua and ten other spies went into the promised land. Remember? They took a look at this promised land and they spied it out. And they said, this land is ours. God has promised us this land. Let's go back and tell Moses we can take him. That's what Joshua and Caleb said. And when they got back into the camp, they went to Moses and they said, Moses, we can take that land. We can take it. And you remember what the ten spies said? No, we cannot. No, we cannot. Those people are too big. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. And they became, they made the people fearful of going into the land at the proper time. The people waited, and so God waited a whole generation before He let them go in. And all those years, all of those years, people, I believe with all of my heart, Caleb was waiting for the opportunity to go into Hebron where the giants were because the people were so afraid and show them that they were able to take over that land. And why was Hebron so important? I'm going to tell you in about 15 minutes. All those years, you know, Jimmy, you'll, you'll relate to this. You'll relate to this as big as anybody here in this room. You remember when the, when the Dodgers played the, the Twins in the World Series in 65, was it? And do you remember opening day was, what, Yom Kippur, wasn't it? And Sandy decided he would not pitch. And for Sandy not to pitch, I know this is... Hopefully you'll relate to this. Hopefully you'll remember a little bit about old baseball history. But for Sandy not to pitch the first game meant if it went seven, he couldn't pitch how many? Three. Right? Two, maybe three. So he doesn't pitch the first game. Sure enough, it comes to the seventh game. Seventh game, they're playing in Minnesota against the Twins. And Sandy goes to Alston, as I've heard the story, and says... I want the ball. He only had a day, two days rest. Not enough rest really normally for a pitcher. He says, I want the ball. Give me the ball. You see, for Caleb, Caleb wanted the ball. Caleb, when, he, when they said there were giants in there and they were too big to take, Caleb just grew. Just got bigger and stronger and said, I can take that land because the Lord God has given it to me. When we walk out of here today, I want you to grow in your strength. I want you to realize that you can take whatever it is that God has given to you. And that land or those promises, those inheritance, that blessing is yours. And don't let Satan rob you of it. Now, let's try, for me try, to read chapter 15 from verses 13 to 19. There's some big names in there, and they just confuse me, and I want to ask your forgiveness going in that I might mispronounce them. Stick with me, verses 13 to 19. It says, Now he gave to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, a portion among the sons of Judah, according to the command of the Lord to Joshua, namely Kiriath Arba, Arba being the father of Anak, that is Hebron. He has Hebron. Caleb drove out from there the three sons of Anak, Shishak, I think, Shishai, and uh, Heman, and Talmai, the children of Anak. Then he went up from there against the inhabitants of Deber. Now the name of Deber formerly was Kiriath Scepter. 
And Caleb said, The one who attacks Kiriath Scepter and captures it, I will give him Asha, my daughter, as a wife. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, captured it. So he gave him Asha, his daughter, as a wife. It came about that when she came to him, came to Caleb, she persuaded him to ask, no, excuse me, came to her husband, she persuaded him to ask her father for a field, and so she alighted from the donkey, and Caleb said to her, What do you want? And she said, Give me a blessing, since you have given me the land of Negev. Give me also springs of water. So he, Caleb, gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. Caleb wanted to pass along the blessings to his daughter and her husband. So you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, as we mature and get to know the Bible better and get to grow older in not only our faith but in age, we get to pass on to the next generation the blessings that have been ours. Before I pray... How often have you, mom and dad, told your children without any other reason than you just want to tell them that you love them and you want to place a blessing upon them? I'm a very fortunate man in the fact that my son calls me almost every single day. We talk for just a short while because he knows dad hates the phone. And he talks to me just enough to tell me he loves me, tell me what he's doing, tell me what's going on with the kids and... We see each other enough. I know what's going on. But every time he calls, almost every time he calls, I say, son, I'm the most fortunate father in the world. I want to place a blessing upon you. I want to bless your work. I want to bless your family. I want to bless you. I always tell him that. Because I don't want to lay on my deathbed and be able to gasp out, I bless you, son. No, I want to tell him every day that I bless him. I want him to know that his father loved him with all of his heart. And I do the same thing for my daughter. And I do the same thing for my son-in-law and my daughter-in-law. I place a blessing upon them as often as they will allow me. And as often as I can. I want to tell those people that I love. I love them all the time. One of the reasons I tell you I love you so much. I don't want to miss a week and die in the middle of the week. And say, oh, I wish I would have told these people at the church how much I love them. No, I think you know by now. I love you with all my heart. And I want to tell you over and over and again that I love you. And I want to place a blessing upon you and your family and your loved ones as well. Now let's get to the message. I'm wasting a lot of wonderful, precious time. Father, please, will you open up our eyes and open up our hearts so that we might behold the wonders of this, this place in Scripture? The wonders of this, this, uh, this man called Caleb who was a warrior and yet was also a gentle lover of souls. His own daughter, his family, and those, the generation that came after him. Father, let us, let us see what made this man so special in your eyes that you gave us reason to read about him and to know what he has done as he asks for this land in Hebron and he wants to fight against the giants in the mountainous regions so that he might capture this land. Bless us, Father, please, as we study this place in Scripture. And please move me aside. Let us see the wonders of your words so clearly written that we will understand that you're speaking to us, not, not a speaker. 
but we hear from your heart to our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Okay, let's get to this place. Caleb, Caleb is a member of the tribe of Judah. And in chapter 14, as we read just a little while ago, we saw that he requested the land of Hebron. He, he wanted that particular land. He wanted the land where there was mountains and hills and, a, and, and fortified cities and a strong foe, giants, if you would, in that land. He wanted to drive them out once and for all. We also noted in chapter 14, as I read with you a little while ago, that Caleb was 85 years old. He wasn't a kid, but he was still a man of great strength. And we surmised that his strength last week was founded upon his total dependence upon his God, whom he followed fully. We read in chapter 14, verses 8 and 9, and also verse 14, where it says, He fully followed the Lord his God. And as we read here in chapter 15, from verses 13 to 19, we see that Caleb did just as he requested. He drove the giants out of that land, just as God had commanded him. In verse 14 of chapter 15, we saw that he drove out the three sons of Anak, the giant. He drove them out of that land. Fortified cities captured them, drove them out. And from this point forward, from chapter 15 to chapter 17, we're going to read a very sad account of Israel's faith, or should I say, Israel's lack of faith. So I want you to see this because there's nothing more dangerous for us and, and confining for those of us who have a lack of faith, who have not been a people who want to say nothing compares to the promises that we have in our God. We're going to see in chapters 15, 16, and 17 that Caleb is the only one who succeeds in driving out the enemy. The only one. All the others, the tribes, made a poor showing of their trust in God. They did not allow Him, God, to drive out the enemy for them. They didn't believe in the promises that God had for them. As He told them, this land is yours. I will be with you. I will fight with you. Take a look with me, please. Hold your place here in chapter 15. Look at the end of this verse, this end of this chapter, verse 63. And we're going to read over and over again. It says in verse 63, Now as for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the sons of Judah, they could not drive them out. So the Jebusites lived with the sons of Judah at Jerusalem until this day. Look at with me please at chapter 16 and verse 10. It says in verse 10, But they did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. So the Canaanites lived in the midst of Ephraim to this day, and they became forced laborers. Look at chapter 17, and look at verses 12 and 13. In chapter 17, verse 12, it says, But the sons of Manasseh could not take 
possession of these cities because the Canaanites persisted in living in that land. And it came about when the sons of Israel became strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but they did not drive them out completely. I am here to say to you that God did not ask them to cohabitate with these enemies of theirs. And God is not asking you and me to cohabitate with sin that comes within our lives. Just like Caleb, you and I are to put, and just Joshua, put our foot on the necks of sin and kill it. Get it out of our lives and don't allow it to linger, to kind of stick around with you. You can almost see that in some of them, they let some of the people stay in the land. It would be like Caleb said, let's keep a couple of the giants just so the kids can play with them. No, no, no. Drive them out of the land. That's pretty funny. I, I just made that up. Thanks for laughing. <laughs> I'm one of the least funny people you'll ever meet. I just made you laugh. That's cool. Drive them out of the land. In your life and my life, we are not to allow sin. Whatever sin it is that you think isn't that bad, then you kind of keep it in the back. It, it, it's not there all the time, but every once in a while it crops up. God says, put your foot on its neck and kill it. Get it out of the land. Get it out of your heart. Get it out of who you are, so that you can walk fully with the Lord your God. You see, with sin, any kind of sin within our hearts, within our lives, any kind of sin that's, sin that's lingering, we cannot really appropriate all the blessings that God wants to give us. We've got to defeat that foe, just as Caleb defeated the foe. And most of Israel, as we just read in chapters 15, 16, and 17, 17, we're not able to drive out the enemy when God says you are more than able. I will drive them out for you. You see, the only one who did as God commanded and became victorious was the only one we see that wholly followed the Lord his God with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might. And that was Caleb. Look, We've still got about 15 more minutes in this message, but if you and I learn nothing else, nothing else this morning, than this truth, that we become a people who live a life full, full of seeking the Lord and Savior in all that we do and all that we are. If we drive out from amongst ourselves any sin that is lingering there to put it, our foot on its neck and finally kill it, We'll never receive all the blessings that are given to us. We must deal with that. That's what made Caleb so strong. That's what made Caleb a man at 85 just as strong as he was when he was 40. He was obedient to the Lord his God and he drove out the enemy from in Hebron. Colossians 3, 23 and 24, you really don't need to look it up. It says, whatever you do, whatever you do, in other words, no matter where you go, what, whether it be at play with the children or at work or, or doing house duties or anything that you have to do, whatever you do, you do that heartily, it says, unto the Lord rather than for men. Deal with it. Do and live your, wife, your life heartily as unto the Lord knowing, it says in verse 24, that from the Lord you will receive the reward of your inheritance as it is the Lord Jesus Christ who you and I serve, the Bible says. And so the lesson that we must learn from the very beginning of this 
example, watching Caleb, this lesson that we must learn as believers is, is we need to be, we need to drive out any and all of the enemies, the sin of our Lord within our lives. If we fail to put our foot on its neck and kill it as we ought, it will linger just like it did for the rest of the Israelites, but it did not for Caleb. He drove them all out of the land. You see, I've always sensed this. In my life, the failures that I have are the opportunities that I do not take to drive out the enemy or the sin within my life. It's always due to my failure of not wholly following the Lord my God and my Savior. It's not being all that I desire to be. It's making promises to God and not fulfilling them. And, and then seeing these entrapments come back and, and kind, of, kind of overwhelm me. Kind of drain away my strength, really. Look what, uh, look what King David says about not dealing with sin, not driving it out. Read with me, turn with me please to Psalms chapter 32. Psalms, the middle of the Old Testament. You see, not to deal with sin, not to deal and to drive out the enemy will eventually drain each of us of our strength and our energies. And that's what made Caleb so strong. He was willing to, to fulfill and to, and to depend upon the promises that we have in God. He could sing, I think, with all of his heart, nothing compares to the promises I have in you, dear God. David says in Psalms 32, verse 1, How blessed, how blessed is the person whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sin is covered. Wait for a second. Blessed. What a, what a wonderful thing. How blessed are you? How blessed are we who, who've had our sins covered, forgiven? You see, as a believer, you and I have that promise. We have been given a promise by God that He will wipe away all of our sin. If we confess our sin, He's faithful, He's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so David writes, how blessed, how blessed is that person whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sin is covered. He says in verse 2, how blessed is that person to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. In other words, you, you live a life Clear conscience before God. How blessed is that man? How blessed is that woman? Listen now to verse 3 and 4. David writes, When I kept silent about my sin, he said, My body wasted away through my groaning all day long. In other words, his vitality is starting to slip away from him. When I kept silent about my sin, he says, my body started to waste away. Look what he says in verse 4. Day and night, your hand, dear God, your hand was heavy upon me. Note, my vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. You wonder why sometimes 
Some people don't have the energy that they ought. Perhaps it's because they haven't really dealt with their sin. They haven't put their foot on its neck and driven it out and killed it. Your energy will be driven, will be drained away. Your vitality will be gone. And so David says, and gives us a clear lesson in verse 5, he says, but this, I acknowledged my sin to you, God. My iniquity I didn't hide. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And what happens? He says, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. What did he do in verse 5? He acknowledged that there was sin in his life. He didn't hide any of the sin. He confessed every sin that he was acknowledged or, or he knew of and, 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 and God forgave him. And with that I say to you, he got back his strength, his vitality. There was a bounce in his step. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sin... He's faithful. He is just. He will forgive us our sins and He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now I want you to go back with me to Joshua chapter 15 and I want us to observe something else about Caleb that I think is one of the keys. Not only the key that he fully followed the Lord his God with all of his heart, but another of the keys that gave him the blessings. And that what he wanted to do was to give away the blessings that he received to the next generation. In this case, it was his daughter and son-in-law. In this portion of Scripture, in, in chapter 15, verses 16 through 19, we see that Caleb took care of his daughter, and in the process, he cared for the younger or the next generation. Caleb gave to his daughter and her husband a portion of his inheritance. She came to her father, and he asks her in verse 18, What do you want? And she said, give me a blessing. Give me springs of water. And he says, okay. He gave her not only the upper springs, but the lower springs as well. He gave the blessings to his daughter. Blessings of his life that overflowed because of his obedience to God. Blessings of his life that overflowed because of his obedience to God. He owned all the land because he drove away all the enemy. Man, to go into our older age, those of us who are getting older, with the ability and the desire to pass along to the younger people in this church the grace of our God, to pass along to our children the grace of God, to pass along to others who are not quite as mature in their faith as you and I might be, those things that have been so generously given to us by God, to be able to teach the next generation as you do so well. To be able to teach the blessings and the victory that comes to those who fully walk with the Lord their God. Not necessarily just with our words, but also with our actions. Do not merely be hearers of the Word of God, but let's you and I become doers of those things that we ought to do. Now the question comes that is dynamic to this place in Scripture. I really want us to learn this. How did Caleb live such a wonderful life? How was he both a powerful warrior and also a loving man as well? Much like King David. King David was a warrior as well as a poet. 
what was Caleb's secret? Last week we saw it was pure and simple. It was easy to read. Verses 8, 9, and 14 of chapter 14. He fully wanted to follow the Lord his God with all of his heart, with all of his soul, and with all of his might. By the way, that is not something that we can give you. I cannot give that to you. I can't. If I could, I would. I can't make you want to walk with the Lord. That's a decision that you must do. That's a decision by the grace of God that God allowed me to make some, how many years ago, 30 some years ago when I accepted the Lord, when I said, if it's just you and me and everyone else were to leave me or desert me, it's just you and me, that's enough for me. That was a statement that came from the most inner part of my being. It was a desire in my heart to walk with God all the days of my life. Watch this secret. When Caleb was 40 years old, he went to the edge of the promised land and took a look at what was in there. And he saw the promised land. And in it he saw a place that was called Hebron. Why was Hebron so important to him? It was on a mountainside. It was hilly country. And it had giants, fortified cities. Why does he want the most rugged of places? What was so special about Hebron to to Caleb. I'll tell you what it was. It was in Hebron that, that Abraham pitched his tent some years ago. It was in Hebron where God spoke to Abraham face to face. It was Hebron that is noted as being a place of fellowship and love and communion with God. That's what, that's what Caleb wanted. He wanted the place that there was fellowship with God, communion with God. He wanted a place where the love of God overflowed him. And so he went in and took that land. Listen now, Hebron is the place that Caleb cherished. He went to Joshua and says, give me that portion of the land. Hebron is, folks, the place that you and I must seek as believers in Jesus Christ to walk fully with our Lord, our God. It is Hebron that you and I must go into. We must get into that place, that place of inheritance, that place of blessing, and take control of it within our own lives. And I cannot take you there. No one can. You have to get there on your own. It is a journey that you must take alone. And it is a rugged place. It's a hillside, mountains. It's guarded by giants. In our vernacular today in the New Testament, it is a place that Satan does not want you to go anywhere near. And he will keep you from it at all costs. The promises that you might make to God in this service, you might forget or push aside by the time you get out to your car in the parking lot. It is a time that Satan would love to make you stumble. It would have put a time that Satan would want you not to go to that place called Hebron in your own life. And he will do anything and everything within his power to stop you because that is the place that is the purest joy for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ. It is that place of blessings. It is that place of knowing and having communion with God Almighty on a daily basis. Caleb's secret, as we saw, was to fully walk with God.
Caleb's secret was to accept nothing else. As we saw, he went into Hebron and charged in there and moved aside the giants, even though the land was rugged. You see, Caleb did not want anything less in his life than to be next to the communion and the fellowship and the love of his God, which in return gave him the strength and also the love and the caring for the next generation, for others. Caleb desired to walk with his God face-to-face, communion with God all the days of his life. And he did battle against all the enemies in Hebron until Hebron became his resting place. Hebron became his place, his home. And nothing was there to disturb him from it. It was the place where he was next to his God in communion and fellowship. Listen, like some of the other people in the nation of Israel, he could have taken an easier land. Not so many giants, not so many fortified cities, maybe an easier plain, not so rugged of of terrain. He could have gone the easier path, but he wouldn't have gotten to Hebron. It was Hebron that he wanted. He wanted fellowship with God. He wanted to be able to face to face with God all the days of his life. He could have taken the easier path. So many people do today giving God our our leftovers, so to speak. Giving God what is second place in our lives. You know, there's other things to do. There's, listen, I understand, I know. I understand it fully. There's so much to do apart from church. There's so much to do apart from this loving of God. But really, does, does nothing compare to the promises that you have in Christ? Can you sing that song with all of your heart? Or do we give God our leftovers? You see, Caleb decided that he wanted nothing less than all of God all the time. What say you? What say me? Is Hebron what we want? That place where we are in communion with God? All the blessings of God pouring upon us? Or will we settle for second best? If you want Hebron, you need to know something. The Bible's clear. It's going to be a battle. It's rugged. Satan will not allow you to take it easily. Because he doesn't want to lose you to that fellowship, that place of communion with God. He wants you to be hypocritical in your faith because that turns people away. The other day I was asked, I was in a, in a tough situation. It was with really dear old friends. And one of the guy's wife's asked me some, a spiritual question. She believed in Oprah Winfrey's style of religion, which is, it's terrible. It is blasphemous. It is hypocrisy to the most nth degree because it brings in enough religion to entice and to fool So she showed me her Bible, and it was called the book called The Secret. And she she said, what do you think of this? And and I'm looking at all my friends, and I'm sitting there, and I just want a nice afternoon. We went to visit my friend who who had cancer, and and we wanted to encourage him. It was his wife. What am I going to say? 
So I said, nah, I don't want to talk about that right now. My friend Bill, who I led to Christ some time ago, says, tell her what you think, John. <laughs> I said, not right now. I said, I don't particularly want to get into an argument. She says, oh, we won't argue. And I looked at her and I said, you know, this isn't my first rodeo. She said, what do you think of this book? I said, well, I wouldn't touch it with a ten-foot pole. She says, but it talks about God and Jesus and Buddha and all those wonderful spiritual things. And I said, that's exactly why I wouldn't touch it. I said, it's confusing you from the truth. Oh, you got the truth? Now I'm in there, right? I'm, de- I'm deep in it now. She happened to own this beautiful um, jewelry store, not jewelry store, um, store with a lot of wonderful, wonderful, beautiful, beautiful uh, like lamps and stuff like this for homes. And she, 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 she made the statement that she has nothing but the best in there. And I said, I'll tell you what, let me go partnership with you in this place. I like it. I said, but what I'd like to bring is some rattan furniture. I'd like to bring some straw furniture in here, some stuff that's made out of cardboard, because I want to reach all the people, and we can't just sell this wonderful stuff, because only the the richest people can afford it. Let me get some junk in here. Oh, no. I said, of course, and you're reading junk. You're allowing yourself to find out what is second class from God. So she says this, well, then, are you trying to say to me that my Jewish son-in-law will not go to heaven? Bingo. Knew it was coming. Could have predicted it. Just didn't know she had a Jewish son-in-law. <laughs> Knew it was coming. You mean to say everybody that doesn't believe in Jesus Christ is going to go to hell? Same statement. And I said, let's not make it personal. Let's not talk about your son-in-law. Let's talk about anyone who doesn't accept Jesus Christ. Our Lord didn't stutter when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father but through me. And my friend, my other friend, said, I don't believe the Bible. Boom, here we go. And so I, uh, I said, let me, uh, let me tell you that we can't discuss all this in a few moments, but let me just say to you that, that unless you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will go to hell. Unless you live with Him and for Him, you will go to hell. It wasn't a fun rest of the day, but it was something that had to be said. Couldn't walk away from it. I told Him I didn't want to fight. Is Hebron what you want? Is it communion with God all the time and His blessings? Then sometimes you're going to have to stand up for what you believe in the midst of of times when you know it might be difficult. It is my deepest prayer for you in this church that you hear the Word of God and that I hear the Word of God, that we hear the Word of God, and that we decide with all of our hearts to, to take nothing less than His best that we would be like Caleb. Now I think you see why I love him so much. He went to fight the giants. He went to fight the mountain rocky uh, terrain. He didn't want anything less than Hebron. Hebron was that place of fellowship with God. That's what Caleb wanted. That's what I want you and me to want. That's what I want this church to want. That's what I want to pass on to the next generation. I don't want to pass along some watered-down gospel. I want you to know that you're going to be in for a fight. You're going to be in for a battle. If you don't compromise. My, ref- my mind reflected back to the last church I was in. I could still be there in that big building. Sure could. No problem, I don't think. I just had to compromise. 
And nobody in that room thought that I was going to say what I said. That's enough of that. Stand for what you believe. Watch God bless you. I wouldn't trade you in this place for anywhere in the United States of America. In fact, my wife asked me next week, I'm going to celebrate something and, and the family is going to celebrate it and that means that I have to miss church this weekend. Oh, we couldn't be with you next week. And I looked at her and I said, you know better than that. I'm not going to take a week off. I want to be with I want to be with the church. We can go to the family later in the afternoon. I don't want to miss church. I want to miss being with these people. I love them too much. And so we're going to not go. We'll be here. I want to be with you. I love you way too much. Father God, thank you for who you are. Let us strive in our heart of hearts for Hebron, that place of fellowship and communion and love with you. And Father, let us recognize fully that that place that we're striving for is 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 just a terrible, terrible thing in the mind of Satan that we would want to go there and he would, with all of his heart, try to stop us. Whether it be a family member, whether it be a, a dear, dear, dear friend, whether it just be a situation within our own lives, we need to stand against anything that is of you and just love you, seek you with all of our hearts to walk like Caleb did fully and wholly with you all the days of his life and also to reach out towards that place of fellowship with you that means that there will be a battle against mountains and giants. But you are so worth it. Just as we sung, dear Father, nothing, nothing compares to the promises that we have in you. We need to believe that with all of our hearts. Thank you, Father, for this morning. Thank you for this day. Let let us all leave from here and bless everybody that's here, Father. Remind them how much I love them and, and, and have them drive very carefully uh, because the streets are real slippery. Let us be careful. We'll come back next week and worship you again. In Jesus' precious name, amen. I do love you all more than I can tell you. Have a wonderful day, by the way.